Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And today, joining me from Leader Games, I have Patrick Leader and Cole Worley. Welcome back to the show to both of you. Hey, Jack. thank you. Yeah, you're you're living in remote locations. This ain't no leader office going on right now. How's uh, <laughs> navigating this whole uh, office dynamic during the COVID pandemic working out for leader? Go ahead, Cole. Oh yeah, I guess. Well, I, I, I'm actually I'm at the office right now. So, but it's yeah. it's not quite the office as it was. So we uh, we do a lot of work together and in close proximity. I mean, usually there's ten people in this office or nine. Um, and over the course of the pandemic, we shut things down, uh, pretty quickly. And it, it was so funny. I mean, not funny. It was, uh, like in the case of oath, I had just spent like an entire day building these four oath playtesting kits for the four local groups that we were running. We ran one night on that Wednesday night. We had, you know, the office was filled with people playtesting stuff. And then I think we like the Patrick, the office was closed like the next day or the yeah, day the after. 13th, yeah. Yep. yep. So it's it something like that. It, you know, it's, it's been interesting. We are, we're running right now with like a skeleton staff at the actual office. Our office is in a, in a highly trafficked building. It's really easy for us to social distance. So we can still sort of share the facilities, but a lot of this uh, pandemic we've spent just doing remotely, which has meant, I don't know, starting a company discord and moving all of our playtesting to TTS and really changing how we do development. I mean, all of us are pretty hands-on folks when it comes to the creative work. And so having to move everything to a digital platform has been a little tricky, but I think we've mostly adapted pretty well to, to its challenges. TTS is a bear to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we, I mean, we're nine months into this and I showed a couple of people how to resize pawns today in TTS. So I was like, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like, but like the joy of just like taking a prototype and scribbling, on a card this now does three reinforcements or whatever whatever the card you know whatever you need to do you just can't do that in tts you got to be very especially for me my style of design it, i just play and change until i have something that i like and i just that that is just not gelling with tts right now yeah and there were i mean one one thing that i will say about tts is it it changed our workflow and and in in one Thing that I've been reflecting a lot on is when it, like when it came to oaths testing, um, our playtesting is exhausting, especially for the testers. I mean, they have to go to Kinko's or go to the, their work printer or something or their home printer. They have to create a kit. They have to build it, cut it all the pieces. So in, in the normal co course of playtesting, remote groups uh, have a lot of friction. It takes them a long time. And every iteration you do exhausts your core group. Mm -hmm. But now that we have to build these TTS kits, we are taking all of that friction on ourselves. So now that we like, basically we have to do all the work of building this kit, but when we release the kit, all the playtesters, all they have to do is click on it. So it actually made like in the, in the case of, of oath, which was developed, I mean, about the second half of the game's development was online. Um, it felt a lot more like managing a video game release and like we'd have patch notes and it, it, it kept, it was a really useful like backwind that kept the enthusiasm among testers up that we knew that like I could update the cards and none of the playtesters had to worry about anything because it was just instantly in, in their kit. So there, there have been some advantages too and some lessons that we're taking into our general process as we start to imagine what game design looks like after COVID. Tracking Oath's development since the original announcement and then the Kickstarter, 
one of the unique things about leader games to me is just how transparent you are with the overall development process and that you announce things so much earlier and you you make it available for people to see i'm wondering if your willingness to show those kind of changes the the immediate iterations is influenced by the the lockdown here and is that something that you intend to continue even after we're out of quarantine well one thing i'll say about oath is the so when it, when it came to playtesting i have a few local groups here in the twin cities and patrick does and and then we have our studio and then we might have some remote groups but and oath was oath was different because because all of these groups stopped meeting we suddenly had access to a pool of playtesters that we had never had before. Mm. So like there might be like one of my favorite people who I'd loved to have as a playtester. Maybe he's the only person in their group that wants to play an, an early game, but because that group's no longer meeting, I can take him again. I like he can, <laughs> he can come join, join our crew. So what, what I, I mean, I, I've run a lot of playtesting forums in the past, right. but I have never, the Oath Testing Discord, which was, uh, it was a private Discord, but basically anybody who asked could join. So it was kind of like there was an open door, you just had to open it. And there was such a spirit of camaraderie that developed in that group. And it was clear that everyone was just hanging out there. That that Discord has like a pet channel. It has a book club. There's like all of these like funny side channels that, 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 that started spawning. And it was clear that like during, especially those early months of COVID, these folks were just like kind of hanging out and helping work on the game. Um, and, and I think this is a place where like the kind of like open development process, which like Patrick has been doing since Vast and those, those work in progress things, mm -hmm. um, it fed really beautifully into the, the, the challenges of what we're running into. Because this is, I mean, this is kind of old hat for you, Patrick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't much say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned that, that there's someone in your group here like, oh, man, this this guy would be great to have as a playtester. What makes for an ideal playtester for each of you? Oh, um, I so playtesting has two very distinct phases for me. And I, I almost wish there was two terms. Right. Because when you say playtesting, a lot of people think it's the latter. And I like in my early design process, I am very open to change and changing on the fly. And obviously that is not how you want, you know, you're not going to have the dress rehearsal. We were talking about the actor with notes about how they're going to act. You know, you should be, you should have that locked down by then. And, and so that like, there's those two phases where it's like, I'm creating and play creating, and then I'm play testing. And my, my closest group to me is very comfortable with changing things on the fly or suggesting uh, changes to make on the fly. And, and, um, I like that. We actually haven't really met since the lockdown, unfortunately. Uh, that group, that Wednesday group, it kind of fell apart like during the oath testing because they were going to go do some oath. Yeah, you know, some of them went to go do oath testing, and and uh, it just you know distance with the with the uh, lockdown. Also, my like one of my primary playtesters just you know his spouse works for the Minnesota Department of Health, and she's been working a million hours a week, so he, he's had to change reprioritize games like games aren't as important right now so check it <clears throat> yeah i mean i i would i would i would second that especially patrick's uh comment about like there being these two phases mm -hmm. I, I i find that you know with the second phase i'm kind of happy to have anybody come join <laughs> but with the first phase i'm very careful because there's a lot of trust that um 
I, you like want everyone at the table is going to have the ability to steer the game towards their own preferences. And so you just want to really make sure that you are careful with who you invite to like the dinner party. Right. Because that's going to determine the character of the conversation around the game. Otherwise you might lose your preferences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, um, you know, what I'm usually looking for in a play tester, they're kind of like two things. Um, one, they have to be like engaged and be able be able and interested in like talking about games and to be thinking about better ways of talking about them and putting their feelings into words and kind of sorting through that. Um, and so I, I want like a I want a good um, a good participant in that conversation. And then the the second really important qualification, and this becomes especially critical in the second half of the process, is they have to be really good at losing and <laughs> yeah. being d- 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 mm-hmm. dispassionate. And that is that is a hard thing. Because, you know, I mean, I, I think about when I, I've been playing a lot of um, a lot of Apex Legends l- lately and get some other competitive games and you just like lose a lot. And it's really easy to get, like tilt yourself. If you start, you know, attracting, putting emotions and like, oh, I just keep dying in the first drop. I wish I could like live past the first minute once. And then as soon as you think that it's over because you're going to keep dying and you're going to start getting agitated and ramping up. So I'm always looking for folks that are just really good at rolling with the punches and not like playing with spirit, but also being able to distance themselves. And I think, you know, our, one of our staff, uh, graphic designers and developers, Nick Brockman, is great at this. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that like, he used to play a lot of competitive card games. And so he's just very used to the idea that he's that you know you, 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 do, you default to the position that you're probably going to lose. You'll try hard to win, but it doesn't matter too much. We, we just, uh, uh, case in point, we just, Cole wasn't even at the computer yet, and we... We sent the the new uh, the new uh, root faction after his keep uh, before he arrived at the table, and it was, it, uh, it, the dice just didn't come out. But you could have lost your keep before. I, turn, yeah, you know, I was in a bad which, spot, which is a thing we got to fix. But uh, right, but, sort of. But, but also, like th- those situations will happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he and he fought back and didn't. He, obviously, he came to the game and didn't really care, but. That was, I thought it was funny. Like someone else could have been like, "Dang it!" and left the mm-hmm. game. But, yeah. yeah, it's like it's a funny balance because you do you don't want people who are totally dispassionate. Right. Like you want them to care, right? But you also don't want them to get too you know emotional about what happened. It was a bad play for the him anyway because yeah, no, it was born yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially with feedback and criticism being such an essential part of testing anything. If you can't kind of dis connect yourself from the the feeling of being you know the loser in a game then you may actually look for reasons either consciously or subconsciously for why the game made you lose and that may affect your feedback and i imagine that 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 has to be something that you guys take into consideration whenever you listen to feedback or look at feedback forms or anything like that speaking of feedback the the transparency that you have with all these iterations uh with oath i mean it, it is awesome that you can make the the tts version of this game so broadly available and get all kinds of feedback and response from fans and interested parties and the woodland alliance you know the people who just want to be diehard leader games fans but do you feel like that kind of transparency can undermine some of the original creative vision for a product that you're working on you know a lot of the reason why some people wouldn't be transparent uh, about this is because they might 
be worried that the audience isn't necessarily going to get it if they don't see it in a more polished state. Oath is going to be an interesting experiment in that regard because <laughs> it has it is it is so much more available. Like usually when we're working on testing, once we're done with the game, we don't do the TTS or the print and play until the game's retail release. Mm -hmm. And we and you do that because you kind of well one you do it because you don't have time to prepare a game for print and to prepare a print and play release. But the second thing you want to do is you want to kind of like shut the pressure valve yeah. and like build up anticipation for a release. And because of COVID uh, and for other reasons, I think maybe uh, we just have kind of like kept it going with, with oath. And so people are playing like pretty much very close to the release version right now. They're not getting the wonderful physical production, but they're getting the game uh, and all the art and everything. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because a lot of the, 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 what we think of as like our core audience, they've played a lot of Oath. They've played 20, 30 games of Oath. And so are those same people going to be excited when the game actually <laughs> arrives on their doorstep? Or because, I mean, to me, I, I, it, it, it is, I, I won't fault anyone if they say like, well, I've already played that game 20 times. Like, my goodness, I'll certainly take that. Um, so I, I think there is a little bit of an experiment uh, uh, going on and we're not, you know, we're not totally sure uh, how it'll go, but you know, Root was much the same. People kept playing their print and plays during Root, and that was no substitute for the game's physical release. And I, I think that in general, um, a big takeaway from Oath has been that like the, the community has made that game better. We, we did something with Oath that we had never done before, um, which is normally when the game goes into, when we start preparing the production files for a game, we freeze everything. And we do this because we don't want to generate any like editorial liability or like put in a typo in the last minute. I, I would often tell people that we, you know, a graphic designer we'd hire or something that whenever you make a change in the the press, the pre-press process, there's a 25% chance that you introduce another error. So you don't want to make changes in general uh, because you know that you might screw something else up. But with Oath, we had um, some extra safeguards in place. We had a full-time editor and a full-time graphic designer just doing pre-press. And so because we had more, um, more, more safeguards, more structure, uh, and we really wanted to do, and we had an active community, we made the call to do something different with our pre-press, which is the way pre-press works is you submit the files and then there's going to be like a month of back and forth of the factory for oath. It was even a little bit more than a month because it's a complicated big project where you're, you're just, you're just like fixing the colors or an icon got messed up. It's very, very mundane. But while we did that, we kept updating the tabletop simulator. And when somebody would ask a question about a card interaction, our editor, Josh Earsley, could say like, okay, actually, this would be clear if we could put a little clarification on the card. Let's go ahead and do that. And then we would update the game's print files. So it was, it was a strange thing that happened that we made a lot of very last minute changes to Oath. No design changes, but they were just like clarifications, very, very small adjustments. And we were really bringing in the community. So I think that, you know, the, the, the flip side of this is you can exhaust the community doing the, this kind of work, but if the community is active, we wanted to capture as much as their, of that energy as possible. We've talked a lot about the, the road to oath and the testing and the availability of it at this point, but I'd be remiss if I didn't go back to like some of the original creative vision. So can you tell me Cole, what was like the original spark for this game? Because it, conceptually it's so different than a lot of games out there so oath is a lot is, is like a lot of stuff i've worked on in that there's like no single moment there was like no single moment where it made sense because i think 
Ben and I have talked about this a lot. Like there are lots of, we both have been thinking about campaign games for a long time. I had been especially like fretting over um, the way games end. It, it's funny. I haven't actually talked about this strand. I feel like whenever someone asks me about the beginnings of Oath, I give them a different answer. Um, but the the guy, this guy, I think his name is Scott Westerfield. He wrote, he gave a talk at Shucks about right, right. why victory points are bad, and he used the example of root. And and he he, he wasn't wrong, but. Uh, you know, he had this comment that uh, the game didn't always build to a meaningful climax, and he was he was um, he was making a category error. Like books don't behave like novels, right? So don't ask them to have like that beautiful whatever that curve's called that has the rising action and the climax and the falling action. So, but I, I was thinking about that a lot, and I was just thinking like, is there a possible way to build a conflict game that is is very attuned to narrative structure and that has like climaxes? And you know, so I was thinking about that kind of stuff, and then. Uh, a couple, but at this point, like there were lots of different inspirations and it wasn't even clear this was a game. It was like just a bunch of scattered thoughts. And then there were a couple of moments that crystallized it. One of them was when Patrick and I were driving back from a convention and we were talking a lot about campaign systems. Mm -hmm. And, and this actually, in that conversation itself was an extension of a very early conversation. Probably I had been on the job for maybe a month when we had the first conversation where you, Patrick, you were talking to me about some stuff in Path. And it was so exciting because it reminded me of things that I've been thinking about from this game I was working on called Scion a million years ago. But just like the idea of a game that changed with its players was just absolutely thrilling. And I think it was a, it was just a place where Patrick and I had both been thinking about a lot and comparing notes. And that conversation was extremely generative. And it, But then after that, you have this like very long gestational process. And I kept building versions of Oath that like kind of worked. But I don't even think Patrick played any of them. It was like I would, you know, he might come in the office and I was just like goofing around with. <laughs> you'd be like, you'd be like messing around with like this hex map. Yep, yep. With a couple like political boundaries on it, and you'd be like, "These are where my giants are," and I'm like, "Cool, cool." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when uh, you actually had something for Patrick to to see, or the whole team to see, Patrick, were you on board at that point? Oh yeah, I mean I was on board at the hex map point. So uh, especially after the success of Root, I was willing to throw the keys to to Cole pretty early in the process. Anyway, um, yeah, it's kind of funny because I really wasn't in the office much when you turned on Oath. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because Oath was kind of in a in a bad. It wasn't a bad. It was just it, it wasn't it wasn't moving when you left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's you know. So I had a baby. You had a baby in September. Yes. Of 2019. I had a baby in, not me personally, my spouse did, uh, in <laughs> November of 2019. And um, it was a rough transition for us. And it was, it's our second child, but, uh, or he is our second child, but um, uh, it wasn't, a, yeah, it was a little bit tricky of a delivery. And um, yeah. And so I was, I was just gone. You know, and then and then I come back and like you guys are like six weeks into playing this game and it's firing and I played it and I was like, oh, I feel very old, but <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's a combination of sleep deprivation and, and the game uh, itself. Um, and then and then just jumping into this meta that 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 Nick and Cole and Josh had already had going basically because they had been playing it. So, uh, but no, no, I'm I was very excited about it right away. Um, and then, you know, he talks about that conversation, which is important. I, maybe we should just drive somewhere for six hours again, Cole, and then we'll, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't finished path yet though. So yeah, maybe, so we, you know, we can be it can be the the, the path trip. <laughs> 
Uh, so we gotta we gotta finish path. But then uh, we can have another conversation, and we can start to work on a game together, and then realize that we can't work on a game together and go work on two separate games. Um, Oath and Path. That's kind of weird. They're like one letter off from each other. Uh, strange. Um, where was I? So yeah, I I bought in really early. Cole like. What Cole doesn't tell about the story, too, is there was this amazing pitch meeting very early on where, like, Cole comes in and I'm like, show me what you got. I need to know soon. I'm getting tense about this. I think this is when we're at the Vandalia building Mm -hmm. still. And we sit down and we have this big company-wide meeting, which at the time was not that big. And... And then, like, Kyle starts talking about the art, and you start talking about the the, the, the different groups coming together and how they'll, they'll come into play, in, you know. And that was back when you still had, like, if the demons rule, yeah. then it's going to be this victory condition. And if this so-and-so rules, it's going to be this victory condition. And it was an amazing pitch because neither of them had really coordinated it. I figured out later. Mm-hmm. And it was... It was the closest thing analogy I can say. It was like giving a high five in the dark. The <laughs> it was so smooth. I thought that they had planned it out, and and it was basically like, well, Kyle's like, I'm going to do all this, and we're going to have uh, these guys are going to be the wizards that control the setting, which turned into the player characters. Not really, mm-hmm. they're not wizards now, right, right. but 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 that's what they were then. One of them even retained the. I think the red pawn is still kind of a jackally looking mm-hmm. uh, person. And and that all that all came over, and that was the point. I was like, "All right, if you guys can deliver that, then I'm I yeah I'm on board." So it is it is it's so funny looking at like that that conversation what was was crazy uh, because Kyle and I had like lightly talked about something we wanted to work with, but I was not aware of the existence that, of this game that Kyle had been working on that fed like just beautifully into. I mean, it was it was really remarkable. I'm so um, salty about the title. <laughs> <laughs> they were calling it Morg back then, and I, I, I was like, "Ah, oh, Morg's pretty cool. Oath is very cool." I'm, I'm just too weird. <laughs> Has there, throughout the development, ever been points of actual contention between you two about certain aspects of the game? Uh, not with Oath. I've, I've been pretty hands off. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Oath is like you've been working on a lot of other things. You've been playing Oath, but. And, but I, I think that, you know, I mean, you're going to run into disagreements. Like I actually, it, it's like, I, um, when I think about the, the folks who were spending a lot of time working on oath where it was like, it was, so it was mostly developed by myself and Josh and Nick, and we definitely got into some arguments. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think part of it is like, you just care too much. Right. right and I, right. I, I mean, I, but I had to, I had to have like, um, there it was there was more than one time where either I had to give this talk to someone else or someone else had to give it to me where they were like, Hey, you are too focused on something that's very small. Right. And you have to like back out and let's let's like take a look at the whole picture. And I think Oath uh Oath was so complicated that there needed to be not as a design, but just as like a project, that there just had to be a lot of people helping. And so I felt like my my design work so for for the oath card base so oath has 250 unique cards or so and i did the primary design on like probably 160 of them or 170 maybe uh and then the other the other design was done by either josh or nick or patrick had a suggestion or like a lot lots of people the the play testers um and there i think for the second half of the project i felt much more like a conductor than like an author in a cave, 
it was it felt a lot like okay everyone's doing good work i just need to mostly make sure that everyone's contribution is gelling with the full thing and plays um, together yeah yeah and plays together and i think you know that like that uh so like, conflict is then part of that process but it's a part that you just have to you know you you can't avoid it you just have to be able to work through it i think there was a point where you we play tested it you were like i'm concerned about this and then i said here's the solution for this and you were like yeah and here it already is laid out and <laughs> and it was it was putting drag on the players turns based on number of armies i think yeah yeah, the, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah yeah it was was in there and and i was like well you just gotta you know and i was like well all right then yeah, so sometimes I'm glad we agree. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 definitely happens too. Was there any aspect of the game that you were super passionate about, but you had to sacrifice for the sake of making a better game? Ooh, that's a hard question for Oath. It's like I can I can give that question for Root. The title. <laughs> well, let's hear it for Root. Let, let, let's yeah. let that well, be the so, one. Well, okay, but so, so uh, oh, oh, Oath is very funny because what happened with, with Oath's development, and this is unique as far as any product I've worked on is oath had a, a simple initial design it got very complicated and then it got reduced back to kind of that simple core in a way that was like sometimes like eerie how it was like oh wow actually we are just going to go back to that very simple basic system and so like a lot of stuff did get cut out of oath but it got cut in a way that I was like not sad about. I was like gleeful when we got the rules down to as long as they are. With Root, there were lots of things cut. I mean, the, the example that I think is on Patrick's mind, it's on mine, is like the alternate win conditions in Root, mm. um, which I, I, I miss them. I, yeah, I want, I want them <laughs> to work. I just want them to work. I don't know. I got a message from somebody. I bet Patrick got this message too, who was like, I really miss them. I miss these alternate conditions. I will like buy you lunch if you can put them in. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was, you know, it, and, and, and this person said like, hey, um, I like Root just fine. I think it's a great game. But my favorite board game experience ever was played with like the second to last playtest kit or like the Kickstarter playtest kit. The keep. That's always it, my like, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's and it's still just, always room to bring it back in. You got expansions. You even have right. an expansion just on the horizon. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> Come on, just bolt it on. People would buy it. That's how you make money, right? Just give the people what they want. Who cares about balance? I think I, I agree with Cole. I think it's it's good to keep, make sure that the, like, root is fly, very flexible as it is, and to make two sets of rules is kind of dangerous. So. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I missed I missed those 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 alternate fitting conditions. So, like I said, there was the Woodland Alliance could win by storming the keep or sieging the keep or something like that. If, and that's yeah. kind of where the dominance win came from, is you want to put a lot of pieces in one spot. And um, yeah, it, it was just it was you know narratively just hilarious. Like it was like this moment where you're like, ha, you know, like I, I I have to throw. And the Woodland Alliance had trouble getting troops on the board too back then, so it was. It was very special moment when you could get that many guys on the board and then do it, or folks on the board. You know, though, I mean, really, you kind of explored that with Oath, and then I think you're going to explore that that sudden victory death or that sudden death space in in Void Lich, um, mm -hmm. and you know, Vast definitely had. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I mean that's that's Vast bread and butter. 
it is funny how much the the, the leader games games are like direct. They're they're in such conversation with, with, with each Absolutely. other. Like yep. like, and I think sometimes people miss this about Root because Root is such a reaction to Vast. Yeah, and, and not not like a critique of it. It's such like a okay, what parts of Vast work? What parts don't work as well? Is there a way that we can square these things? And then when I think about Oath, Oath is like a complete reaction to Root. And uh, and you know, Voidlich is very much like a and reaction. I've heard you say Oath. things about Voidlich that are like, well, you're responding to Oath. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yep. clearly trying to like, yep. you know, process that stuff through. I mean, it, and I like, we, I think that both of us have a design sensibility that um, is pretty liberal with like harvesting parts from previous mm -hmm. work. So it, it's so funny because I used to make this have this be a point of contrast between us, Patrick, because I always thought like, I really only have like one active project and then maybe like a future project, whereas you have like several projects. But I, I but I think that <laughs> we, we both like are really aggressive about taking stuff from things that hasn't, qu haven't quite yeah. started working yet. So, and so like, you know, just to, to get back to, to, to your question um, about systems that I was sad to destroy in, in Oath, I had a combat system that I really liked that was very much like my critique of Dune's combat. Mm -hmm. I thought it was dope. It, I thought it was really interesting. It just could not work. It was like fundamentally unworkable. And I was very sad to see it go, but it was, it was just completely obvious it had to go. And though that system has already informed other stuff that I'm wor working on. Um, which won't work. Yeah, which won't work, and then, I, then I'll get sad again and throw it. Well, let's it's talk about the, the lineage of Leader Games. I mean, I know that before Vast came out, that Leader had put out uh, games, but Vast was the big breakthrough, and then there was Root. And at the time, a lot of people, probably dumb people like myself, would be like, yo, Leader Games, they're the people who make asymmetric games. That is the identity, the core shit that leader games is going to put out but now here at the tail end of 2020 you have fort you have oath on the horizon and i don't even really know that much about void lich i feel like you could make a lot of assumptions about what a leader game is going to be or or supposed to represent a couple of years ago patrick do you feel like the, the identity of the company has shifted and maybe your intent of what leader scope is. Yeah. I, you know, and I don't like, I think the identity was a little bit assigned to me and I played into it, of course, because it was a good angle to market the company when we were growing. But now we have, I hate to say that maybe we have the clout to publish other, th we definitely have, the, I mean, we've definitely published <laughs> other things uh, at this point, as you, as you just said. So yeah, um, <clears throat> for me, it was the, you know, I was working on, I did publish trick or treat. I was working in uh, more complicated designs and trick or treats goal was to just teach me the publishing process, right? Because it was, it's just a double, Jack box. It's nothing complicated to it. There's still like a hundred left in the warehouse. If anybody wants to get one, it's it's almost gone. Um, and so like and so coming out of that, I was working on a some dungeon crawler thing, and I discovered Vast, and um, of course made the pitch for it right away. And um, out of that though, bef David initially said no, and he wanted to work with another publisher. And so what I did was I started talking to David about 
thinking that David was some like design guru, but it turned out that was his first design. And he just kind of like, <laughs> he just kind of like, I mean, and that was great because it's like, it's, it, he designed something original because he had no frame of reference about the rest of the industry. And so he was like, how do I tell this sto- very complicated story while divided up among the players to each take a role in that story? And so I started working with him on other designs and uh, I was working on this game called Giant at the time. And just think if a Giant had been published, we'd be doing five letter. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so we're working on Giant together. And he kind of like laid out for me the structure of how he like, you know, how he made every every group adversarial with the other group and how you block the other, you know, how you block the other groups. And it, it, like that seems obvious, but at the time it was really informative and interesting. And so I designed um, Giant, and then Giant started breaking down into other projects because it was too big, it was too unwieldy, so I started like figuring out other things. And Path actually does come directly from that work on Giant. Giant, like, like there was a there was a version of Giant where the players are controlling the victory conditions by spending influence on the factions in the game, and then as they do jobs, like the like you know if. For, to use the root setting, which is where Path is now, you know, if you do, if you are, if you are famous in the Mar- Marquis's court and you're doing bounty hunter missions, then you get more points. Or if other players are doing bounty hunter missions while you're well invested in the Cat's court, then you still would get be getting points for that. And so that was one of the like that was one of the aspects of Giant that split out of it. So, um, so yeah, but then of course you know he came to us and said let's do Vast uh, together, and um, he unfortunately had to drop out of the process due to some family issues. And um, but then I you know I took over and um, created that that asymmetric design. Um, I mean, what it did teach us though was that it is, and especially working in TMM afterwards, if I maybe uh, Cole will agree, it's just it's just a big teach. <laughs> <laughs> I love Vast. I, in fact, I worked on Vast three last weekend uh, for funsies, and um, or to gain experience points, or, or whatever, however you want to, uh, um, however we want to talk about it. And um, but it's just it, it is it's when you get to a convention and you're spending twenty minutes just explaining the four turns to somebody, it is it's it's a bit of a bear to teach. And so. One of the, I think one of the goals of Root, in my mind, is the producer and and Cole walked right into this and started working on it was how to make the asymmetry so that there's common enough language that that's easy to express between the roles, which is you know movement and combat is very similar, so you just have to explain that once. You don't have to explain combat a million times, and then there's just things that change it, and then you know having a scoring system versus a sudden death victory system allowed players to track the game state much easier and so that's i think that's the kind of lineage it grew out of but from there i i you know like i think one of when i started designing void lich one of the one of the goals of it was to make a world where um the to, to reduce the asymmetry of root even further and 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 i i i at the time, I said the my intent with the asymmetry was to make it somewhere between Twilight Imperium and Root, where the you still play Twilight Imperium generally very similar, but there is enough asymmetry between the uh, what are they called nations factions? Yeah, nation. I don't know. Nations, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, so the, between the races, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. So between the between the species, there's enough there's enough rule changes that you could still you still feel that the asymmetric wheel turning a little bit, especially I think of the 
the players that really play with the action cards. Um, but it's not, but you're still playing a very similar game to each other. So some are a little bit past that, but before root for asymmetry. Um, and then, you know, I think now the goal for Void Lich is to make the asymmetry emergent is kind of how I'd describe that. Is that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, and, I, I, yeah, go ahead. And with Oath, it's emergent too, in, in some sense. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it's, you know, I, I see discussions about Oath's asymmetry a lot on the, uh, the Woodland Warriors Discord and, and in other places. And it's interesting because if you were to just line up the powers in Oath and the victory conditions, it is closer to vast than root in asymmetry, just because, like, if you ask someone, how do you win in, in root? There, there, there are some commonalities about how the victory points work mm-hmm. generally, right? And when you're playing Oath, it's like, okay, I win if I can sneak into the castle and steal the, the scepter and run out to the desert. And he <laughs> wins if he can start a revolt, like, out, you know, in, in this area. And so, like, they, they're just really different player positions, um, even though it's relying on a, a kind of shared set of, uh, of rules. The way I, I've tended to think about the company um the company's like governing style or mission is that fundamentally we do thematic immersive games right and and vast vast is is one and root is one and oath is one um and a lot of companies that are our size uh tend not to do games like this because they're expensive they're expensive in terms of development in terms of art they're expensive in every way a game can be expensive basically um but our 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 ethos, our style is that like the players get to drive a lot of that theme. That it's that it's immersive. That it's gonna it's gonna put the players first. And we, I, I mean, I you know it's funny when I first started working here, I remember telling Patrick one of the things I was so attracted to about the way Vast um, was 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 the way it comported itself. Vast has um, a seldom commented, but I think it's very charming, like kind of a retro feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when no, you, totally, when you, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't see people to talk about it, but I, I look at va- the vast books and I'm like, this kind of looks like an '80s role playing game, just in the way it like comports itself. Even, but of it, course, it feels it like has, an '80s game sometimes. Yeah, yeah, with yeah, modern absolutely. Sensibility, yeah, yeah, and, and I think part of that is that the art is so hand drawn that you really see, like, it doesn't look too polished. It doesn't have that like sheen that like a lot of modern game art has. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, of course. But it like just in its whole spirit, it has this like kind of like spunky like '80s school design to it. D- despite the fact that, on the other hand, uh, Vast, especially the first the the first um, game in the series, it has a very modern design sensibility. Like the way the different factions behaves. Like Patrick, I I could see you doing a lot of the like reaction to first and second wave Euros in mm-hmm. that design. And so like it had a modern design sensibility, but it's like heart. Like the, the the song it wanted to play was like an '80s song, <laughs> Mid Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So it just it, to me, it, like that. So when I think about like what does the, the the company do, at least right now? I mean, of course, it's always changing. Um, when we're at conventions and stuff, and someone asks me like, "Oh, what kind of games do do you guys make here?" I always say like, "Well, these are games that are really immersive. They're really player driven. Very story first, but the you are going to be determining the story." And uh, they're really interactive. And ultimately, like, and I love p- turning away people at our booth. The question I'll ask them is like, hey, do you like to play one game a lot of times? Because that's kind of a bag. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, we, just, we just have to own it a little bit because it allows us to play by a different set of rules than a publisher that knows that they're trying to win you in the first five minutes. So, uh, But to piggyback on that, what I'll say is 
when I was getting into the market, I felt like there was a real push. So Kickstarter, and not you know, Kickstarter is my bread and butter, so I'm not not criticizing it. But what it was doing, I had a friend who went to like a, a meetup in Austin for designers, and this guy, several people showed up one meeting he'd never met before, and one of them just launched into this long thing about how his game was going to market and how he's going to produce it. And it's it's kind of like raising your hand on the first day of a college class and saying, what do I need to do to get an A in here? Instead of saying, what do I intend to learn here? Right, like, I right. felt like I felt like they were they were like way, way the cart was way before the horse if they're talking about the marketing of the game, because they're like, I'm not focused on making an authentic, fun experience. I'm focused on how to make it as a producer in this industry. And I, I and I, I always want to focus on the experience that the players having. I like the money is great, but you know the money just lets me continue building an authentic experience and um and so that so like <clears throat> where am i going with this um and so he um and so that like when i got into the industry i felt like if you looked at people who were always bemoaning whatever not bemoaning when they'd play a game with me and they'd say why can't you make a simpler game why can't you make a ticket to ride why can't you make a, a, a carcassonne like which just gets down to the essential elements of that design and they're great designs i love carcassonne i'll uh eh, i'm a little over carcassonne but i'll play ticket to ride any day of the week that's fine uh, and it's just because i played a lot of carcassonne so and so i think what we did was we i said i'm just going to embrace like i'm not going to keep racing towards easier simpler and that is a great aesthetic embrace it if that's how you want to design or if that is what you what you were skilled at doing but what i wanted to do was to to answer the call of people were saying i get burned out on games really fast and i'm like well yes because you're playing something that is very like it has a repetitive turn structure repetitive flow i want to make a game for you that you can you can sink your teeth into and get into and keep playing over and over and enjoy for a long time and i don't want you to keep filling up your shelves as i stand in a room full of games um i don't want to keep filling up your shelves with 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 games that are that aren't going to satisfy you um and then the other the other part about the aesthetic I wanted to talk about was that the um, there's an interview with Peter Molyneux who designed who's a, a, a um, British is that the right yeah, yeah. we say British yeah uh, uh, Lionhead he, Studios is Lionhead that... Studios yeah he made Fable he made frankly some of my favorite games from my childhood uh, when he was working for Bullfrog and when he designed uh, Fable he was talking about how there was behavior people were taking in the game that he had not anticipated when he designed the game. And one of them was he would get people drunk. So players would get people drunk and get them to follow them outside of town. And then they would impress these people with spells or something like that until they were in a stupor. And then they, and then the player would run back to the town and steal everything. Obviously that's just game breaking. That isn't very interesting to me, but he then talked a lot about emergent gameplay. And that notion has always been interesting to me. And I think it is hard to pull off in a, in a computer game because you can see all the parts much more easily than you can see the math in a, in a video game. But um, for me, that is like, that's kind of like where I want to go to by the end is mm -hmm. I want to get to this like world where I see someone playing it and I go, I had no idea you could do this with the game, but it's not off the rails yet. So that is the, uh, a very nice summary of like, when I feel like I know a game is getting close to being done. Yes. Is when I start to see players do like, there was a late stage, um, oath play test where players uh th th there's a card called the, the tinker's fair which allows players to trade relics 
and ne negotiate for them. Normally, you can't do that. I mean, it's one of those those rules of game design that's like, be careful, don't let players trade things, they'll break <laughs> your game. So in Oath, there are powers that kind of open up that, that type of gameplay. But I, I saw notes about a game where players were renting their relics to each other. So they'd be like, hey, uh, $2, you can borrow this for a turn and a half. And then you got to give it back. <laughs> and it was just so delightful because it was not really how that card was intended to work. But it was clear that the, the players had found like an emergent character for that game uh, that, that fit perfectly within the, the general theme. And it wasn't something I had anticipated. I'm like, OK, we can, we can shut it down. Game's done. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about the, the stuff that's just about to come out i mean oath is on the horizon i know it's still tbd as far as specific date that it's going to be available in retail but you also have a lot of projects in development patrick you mentioned you were dabbling with vast three i mean is that a, a reality on the horizon is that just no a, no a, no a little tinkering project for you yeah it was a little bit of tinkering i um i had i had designed so back when we were working on Mysterious Manor, I had approached it as I was making Crystal Caverns and I, I wanted to like try to see what would happen if I just made a true expansion for Crystal Caverns. So I designed this thing about an ice cave and everything had an ice like sort of shift to it. So the ice dragon, ice or a creepy cave, I think is what I called it. And so I, what I did was I basically kind of just designed it like similar, but slightly more not complicated, but slightly deeper roles based on uh, the Crystal Caverns. So that was, the, and I was going to call that the the, uh, um, the depth expansion. And then I also designed Mysterious Manor, which was width. And that was, if you if you just take the rolls over to a new game and rewrite the game, what do you end up with? And Mysterious Manor won that moment. You know, like that's, that's the one we ended up going with. And um, turns out that it was tricky to market because people wanted the expansion and not the, or thought it was the expansion <laughs> yeah. and not the and not a new core game. And so as we realized, as I got closer to realizing the core game was gonna work, there was a, there was a, a day, maybe 2018, where I rewrote all the fearsome, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Frozen Fear, which is what it ended up being called. I rewrote all those roles to work independently of uh, the Crystal Caverns, but I got stuck on the setting horror or the fear, you know, like the actual mm -hmm. setting and how to make it because before it had just been like a flavor of the cave. And so now I wanted to make a new setting and I have, I have notes for, oops. Ah. Good, good interviewmanship here, Patrick, keeping your phone on. Um, hey, we're all in 2020 experiencing this. This is the norm now. I mean, that's flavor. That's what that yep, is. That's, that's what flavor, the people yeah. want to see. Well, I could have done this upstairs with kids in the background. Um, and so, um, yeah, and so I I just uh, I I redesigned it and I and I was like, okay, well I'm just gonna shelve this and someday I'm gonna have an idea for how the the fear works. And then this weekend, like my brain was like, here you are. Two years later, this is how the fear is gonna work. And so I just sat down and redesigned the fear, and then that led to me redesigning all the other roles because I was like, well, it's it, it all has to fit together. And I did that very like it was probably less than six hours of work uh, to design it. Now, of course, I got to prototype it and build it. But yeah, so uh, that's that's just for passion. But we're working on um, Route Four, uh, which will be the next. We haven't decided on a title. We haven't even discussed a title for Route. Yeah, we yet. haven't even yeah. started that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we, we're kind of dividing up the uh, responsibilities here and making it more of a studio project. And so right now I am working on two more militant factions for the game, as you know, militant being a faction that has to police the board's 
the game state to make sure that they can get to victory. Yeah, I, I think of those as the factions that stabilize the board. You know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're going yep. to need one of those in play. Someone has got to be the moles or the cats or the eerie. And that was the impetus we did behind designing them was we figured, well, if, they, if, if you're going to target high reach groups in the game, then let's give players more options uh, in case in case that's what they want. It also allows stabilizes two-player a little bit because both of these should work as an anchor for a two-player game. Uh, I think, I don't see any reason why neither of them work yet. No, um, they, they should both work just fine. I, I would look forward to playing the Warlords versus the Cats across the entire board um, and, and not, not next door. Um, and so that was, that was one goal. And then we talked about... Um, well, and so then Cole is designing... Uh, we, we talked about... Uh, making a extending the player ranges a little bit so making two player a little bit more satisfying and making five or six player which we i think we've kind of dropped from the project i don't i guess we're kind I, of still... I, I don't i think it's still there maybe yeah There's... okay yeah um, we had like patrick had a good idea for like kind of a way to extend the board potentially and have you know like a bigger maps for the groups that want to play on the bigger map um because there are people out there it's not me but there are people out there patrick who like like root at the high count? Yeah, right? I mean, I you know I may not have commented on it, Patrick, but I read Dan's thread. I read that <laughs> <laughs> um, about uh, Dan Throw the reviewer was like, I kind of want to play root with eight people, <laughs> um, and it's like, well, you know, you can't really do that on the the twelve clearing map, but a fifteen clearing map, I, yeah, I might, yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, you know, as, as Patrick said, th th this, this way, th this root content is definitely like a studio project. And what we mean by that is it's like, it's all hands on deck. Everyone's helping. Yeah. Everyone's got ideas. We're all putting stuff in the broth. The thing that I'm mostly working on is, um, root... so the other side is the, two oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sorry. 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 I didn't want to steal, yep. I didn't want to steal your thunder. Um, so yeah, the other side is the, 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 the two player and the, the two player has an interesting provenance basically, um, Many elements of Root are very modular and very easy to expand. Mm -hmm. But there is one system part that is not that does not expand very cleanly, and that's the game setup. It works fine, but it just doesn't it just doesn't like um, it doesn't socket as neatly as the other ones do when it comes to having a lot of content. So I am in, in the process. Basically, uh, there are I kind of looked at looked at the problems, uh, you know, as we were kind of divvying up tasks and thinking about different ways of going. And Patrick had been working a little bit on, on the, the, the two player, and I was working on the, the setup. And then it it occurred to me that actually I kind of wanted to work on the two player as well as the setup, as well as helping with any balance adjustments to the system, because all those issues were like very tightly interrelated. And so I, I'm working on a new advanced setup system, which will plug very seamlessly into the tournament style draft that a lot of people who run root tournaments use, we're basically going to adapt that system, make it official and then build it directly into the setup so that you can get around with some friends. You can very quickly make a pool of factions and then draft those factions. And as part of the draft, you're setting up the board. And then if you're playing at lower player counts, we have these like little minor factions that players will fight control for control over that allow the low player count game to still feel populated. And it's a little bit different than the bots. Like when you're playing with the bots, there's a, there's a very subtle like cooperative element when you're playing with the bots, right? Right, right, because right, right. And I think that that's actually something that the bots are very good at. And I don't wanna, don't wanna take any of the bots thunder when it comes to like what, what they add to the game. 
when you play with the minor factions, it feels like you're playing more of a war game. Okay, so this is blowing my mind. Minor factions are going to be in route. So, like, give me kind of like a practical example to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing sure, sure, sure. No, of totally. what this is. So the way the way it works, and you know, this is again caveat. All this stuff's in development; it could change a million times. Um, the way the minor factions work is they are color coded mm-hmm. to the major factions. Uh, they use different pieces. Maybe the, the piece shape might be different. Mm-hmm. And th- they'll, they'll come in a, a little tuck box. And they are kind of like a flavor of the major factions. So, like, for instance, uh, the, Woodland, uh, the Woodland Alliance one is called the Spring Uprising. I love it, this. Right. And basically what it does is it's this little minor faction that players can bid for control on using a, a currency that I'll talk about in a second. And then on your turn, you get to, like, put little unrest tokens down, which behave mostly like sympathy and then can also cause revolts. But you know, they don't have warriors. They don't score victory points. They're just a, they're just a pawn, but you have to be careful because you could build a bunch of sympathy webs on the board and then you might lose control of the, of the spring uprising. And now it's the other player who's holding the gun that you've been crafting for the whole game. Um, This is powered by uh, a pretty simple sort of zero sum influence economy Mm -hmm. that, pays players uh, who are struggling in the game. So if you have the fewest points, if you've been getting the snot kicked out of you in combat, you're going to have more of these little influence points which you can use to bid for control on these different factions. Uh, the other element to this is uh, you can also bid for, for turn order um, for, for who, who gets to go first. And, they, and it, it, gives, it gives the game like, uh, it gives the players a lot of tempo control, which is actually not something that players have ever had in Root, right? Like Root is a game about tempo where you don't get to control the tempo and you just have to understand like the, the, you know, what the natural balance of the table is depending on seating order and factions. And when, when you play with the minor factions, it gives players a lot like, do I want, is it more valuable for me to take control of like the weird lizard minor faction or to be first player next round? I'm excited and, about this because the, I, I, I've been watching a lot of 40 K lately and I like the, because it's not, a b a b for turns now it's you have to roll for initiative each turn there is this like you cannot leave yourself in a position that's vulnerable because someone might double double up on your turn and so i i'm interested to see how that sort of behavior translates to root well this is a pretty fundamental shift because root isn't a game that has rounds built into it from the the get-go so is this going to be the the default way of playing from now on, if you're using any element of this expansion, is this a variant? So the, the, this is a, a thing that I, uh, I have very mixed feelings about, but I'm growing more comfortable with it as I, as I live in the space. It is essentially like the first modular option for root. So all of the existing setup stuff, all the existing setups rules, those all are still there. And then players can make the choice to play with the advanced setup, which then brings in, minor factions it brings in the tempo stuff and all so but for for, i I should be very clear about this for the new expansion uh you can play with the factions in any form yeah you could just draw like that we are not we are not upsetting the apple cart at all there you know if you want to play with the new factions or if we do new maps all that stuff still works just fine but then for the players who have gotten really into the game especially like on the competitive side you uh we'll have these sort of the sort of advanced setup system that plugs in with the minor factions. And it's not, it's not really that complicated, but it does change the character of the game a little bit. 
and the minor factions, they could be played at any player count. It just enriches yep. two player, which is one of the more yeah, lagging you, ways of playing. We're like still trying to figure it out pr- precisely. It probably it'll be something like three minor factions in the two player game. Got you it. use two for three and four and just one for five and more. Uh, I haven't like quite, we haven't quite figured out those numbers. Most of the testing I've done has been with two and three players. We're still, we're, we're still pretty early on. And, you know, it, it's so interesting. I feel like w- with the design of the minor factions, this has been a place where um, we have been play. So we play a lot of games in studio. And I think this has been a place where, um, like, so I, like, this has been a good place where the studio system has uh, been a real strength. So, for instance, like, the bidding for turn order thing, came from um, playing a lot of Undaunted with, with, with the development, uh, our developer, Nick Brockman. Yeah. And we were just talking about the importance of tempo in war games. And there are these old Civil War games where I think um, the GMT's, the, the Civil War, has this great mechanism where when, when we decide who goes first, we both roll a die. And then the higher roll goes first, and you take as many actions as the differential between the two okay. dice. It's a, it's a great mechanism. It. It's yeah. a great mechanism because you could play a very aggressive and dangerous play hoping that you're going to get to go again. Right. And so, uh, but um, you know, also, you know, we've been having, um, co- conversation like Patrick had made, uh, when Patrick was thinking about the, the two player, he made a comment about like the problem with roots combat is that, you know, in a, in, if it's just me and you, and I roll really well, there is no third player that can like help fix that problem. Totally. Right. And so that led to a way of getting influence where if zeros are rolled on the die, the defender, who's the one who was hurt by that zero is going to generate some extra currency, which they can use to then take bids that are going to improve their, their, their uh, setup position. So the, so far the, the advanced setup has been very, very, very tight. And a lot, I mean, one of the weird things about Root is that not many games of Root get to the end game. It's a, it's a rare thing. A lot of games of Root end at the seven turn mark or before. Mm-hmm. And the end game of Root, where everybody has like 23 points, but no one really has the ability to score that last seven. It's my favorite part of the game. And it just doesn't happen that often. But this so far has been taking a lot of the games I've played to that end game, uh, which is really exciting. That's cool. Are you? Can you send me some photos of the game in progress? Oh, yeah, yeah. Should... Studio? I haven't even seen. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will die. I should take. You send me the assets and I'll load them into TTS for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was going to put them into TTS on Monday. So they're all, okay, cool. they're all ready to go. Patrick, you said that you're working on two militant factions. Are these only factions that right now you're planning on having in the expansion? Yeah, I think so. I Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I know so. I mean, I, I did want to, like, give... There's other major factions at the studio we should probably give a shake to also, mm-hmm. but we haven't really, uh, I just kind of how the timing of us going back to work from home worked out. It, it made sense for me to just jam on the two melted factions alone. But yeah, for right now, that's it. Now, what, one thing that was also exciting to me is is some of the kind of half, half factions you see from the fan factions or from mm-hmm. even the studio generating stuff can plug in very easily as a minor faction. And so you might see an expansion someday that's just... Here's two minor factions. Like that I, I think it. that's a, a brilliant way of incorporating all kinds of new fun stuff into what is otherwise, you know, a really simple system. I mean, that's one of the things that I love most about Root, and mm-hmm. I, I've found that 
you know your your guys's hope of having games that reward repeated play has absolutely come true with root the more that i play the more that it, it kind of elevates in my mind of you know my favorite games and part of that is that i like that fundamentally root is kind of a simple framework and the complexity comes from two things one is, of course, the asymmetry and, and, you know, all the different things that a, a faction can do. But two is the strategic possibilities that are left up to you in that simple framework. I mean, it, it's almost shocking when you realize how simple movement works and combat works and that kind of stuff. But by the amount of interaction that you can have, the possibilities... Are pretty numerous and as you're describing these uh these minor factions uh it's just sounding awesome but i want to know about the new major factions you know the these uh two militant factions what can you share about them first do you have the animals on lockdown yeah yeah uh so you know i gotta uh i gotta kick one thing back to cole cole real quick mm -hmm. and you start a new design do you start with the root movement and combat rules Yes, <laughs> well, a little bit. Oh man, As it, do I. It, yeah, yeah, no, it's so 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 funny. It's I've been working. Space on, working. Yeah, I've been working on this, uh, and um, well, uh, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. But I, I, I want to hear you talk about the new factions. But yeah. um, when I started working on a, a a design take for the space game that we've been working on, I literally was like, okay, I have a new action framework. Let's just play root with this action framework. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because I don't want to think about movement and adjacency and combat. Like, right. let's just play with the new action framework. And then as soon as I got that working, I was like, okay, now I can start to customize the rest of the chassis to meet the action framework. Um, but yeah, no, I, I use that system all the time now. All right. So we are working on two factions right now. The um, Warlord of the Rats. I don't. I guess we got to come up with the time. Warlord is great because it's it is the structure of their their society. I like Warlord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but they'll be represented by rats in the game with personalities like the vagabonds. Mm -hmm. uh, is there's a single piece that is the warlord itself, and uh, and they'll be you know they'll have a character card that has a personality or a different ability as uh, how that's expressed uh, in the game. And so the the faction tends to focus on um, hegemony, like ruling uh, clearings completely. And it focuses on the motion of the warlord across the board and how um, they're the ones that are the center of the fighting and they're the ones at the center of the action. And as they move away from you, um, you know, they you, they lose that presence, basically. Uh, and so everything has to kind of take place around the warlord. And if the warlord dies, there's... We want player to take risks. We've I think we hit on the right formula for how much it's going to hurt to lose the warlord, which is not as much as losing your government in uh mm -hmm. as as the eerie for instance so um so that's working on that and then uh we had announced that we were doing a turtle faction um I, and and it was going to be another militant faction and they um they depend on public buildings and building public roads uh mm. and and slow levying and a kind of a defensive play um but i i think we're going to go with badgers instead so i'll just go ahead and announce that i haven't i <laughs> I feel bad. It's like not final, right? Talking about turtles on Twitter, and I'm like, well, actually, it isn't subtle. I, I feel co really good about their design where they're at. I think they're really yeah. interesting. Um, 
it's weird. Sometimes I feel like, you know, sometimes the animal comes first and sometimes the design comes first. Well, tell me about how badgers play. Uh, yeah. So they, um, and, and they're, they're not quite, we have not played nearly as many games with them yet because, uh, they just, just came out second and we're trying to get the warlord, uh, looking better first. Um, and the warlords, frankly, I, I think it's testing well. Um, yeah, I think, I think it is like a few weeks from being able to drop some, some, te- some public testing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so the, uh, the badgers then uh, they just have a few buildings that they can build and um, to represent kind of a slower form of governance, they have action tokens that they have to put down on the map. Um, and then, um, and this is all work in progress, bound totally, to change. Totally, but, totally. Yeah, so, so they put tokens down on the map and those will be their orders in the next turn. And so they have to kind of plan out their and players can see what, what they're planning on doing next turn. There's still orders in their pool that they can play if they need to. And but those aren't as strong as the ones that are on the map. So you really want to use you really want to lean on the ones on the map uh, when you're playing. So and then uh, a little bit defensive, but uh, slower to get guys on the board. And uh, and that seems to be the right combination. I, I'm really enjoying them. There's a lot of um, when I've been playing them, there's a lot of like co- there's a lot of cost of movement. And so it's like, how many do you you have to make your invasion forces not be six guys jumping on a space. You want to make your invasion two or three guys jumping on a space taking it down and then bringing in more troops uh, afterwards for free. And so um, I, that's, I, I like the, the tension that creates because there's a lot of like, do I go for it and risk, risk losing this position or do I hold back and, and wait until everything's a little bit more solid? So. And they have this awesome system that Patrick came up with for like public infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So like they can build like roads that other people can use. So you, they're in this funny like so it, so it's interesting like I, I see the warlord is very much like an interesting like take on an eerie style invader pow- invader style uh, faction and the 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 badgers are like what if the otters what what if that kind of faction had grown up into a bigger a bigger you know. Uh, more militant faction. They want to take care of people, and they want to take care. Yeah, so like, yeah, I think that they will pair really well against each other in the in two player matchups. But they also like gel well with the other factions. I mean, I think what what when when Patrick was soliciting I, ideas for the expansion, and everybody was adding to this Google Doc, I wrote this like tiny little paragraph that was like, what root faction should do. And it's like one, they should be aware of what other factions do, so that they're scouting out new territory, right? Uh, and then the other thing is that they need to make the, fu- the the whole game should feel that they're present in a way that like when you play with the otters, you're playing with the otters. This game is different and it would feel very different if the otters were the Woodland Alliance instead. And I that's think why, well, that's why I think it's funny. You said the game's finally modular. The rules are modular because I'm like, well, the factions themselves are modular. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> almost like there's a variant. Maybe that's the yeah. The, yeah, there you go. The ickier word that I don't want to say. But, you know, like I, I do think that there's. Um, both of these factions that Patrick's built, like they clear that those marks very, very easily. And there's still a lot of, a lot of work to do on them, but like the warlord is like pretty much ready to go. So hopefully we'll have some print and play. And, you know, you know, just going back to that first question about process, like this is another development that we're going to be doing publicly. Like people can join the Woodland Warriors discord and, uh, and they, they can get to see these, this stuff early. So when is this going up? So I, I'll first start seeing the, I ire about the animal changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll probably have this up in about a week, and you can expect all, right, all right. the hate mail yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there'll, be frog, I'll, there'll be frogs by then. I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it. 
So the development, I imagine, has had to have evolved as Root has become more and more complex because initially you're only testing four factions against one another and you know different player counts within that you had two player yeah. the original mechanical marquees and then three and four has it become exponentially more difficult to you know figure out how to get factions into this game do you see an end of the road where root might be complete because it's just too ridiculous to introduce more factions into this thing so That's may fine. i call no go ahead i i'm tapped out <laughs> <laughs> I, I it was i felt like it was a stretch to get to where i met with these two militant factions and it was good i like the constraint of the i had two constraints because i have the constraint of the design of mm-hmm. that we have right now mm-hmm. and i also have the constraint of by well, three constraints i also have i see notes for cole from Cole about what he wants to do in the future. And I didn't want to violate that space at all. And there was, I think there was an original take I had on one of the militant factions that we could have done. And I was like, I could see where both of these could play together, but let's, let's not, let's not cross that bridge because I don't want to limit Cole's design in the future. Cause he's not done. And then, uh, and also I'm pretty active with people talking about the fan factions and I didn't want to, um, I like the creativity of the fan factions and I like there's a lot of interesting ideas that aren't quite complete there yet or are far more complicated than say the Vagabond and so it's like yeah, you got it like um, and I, I you know I mean the Warlord still has plenty of rules to cut but I, I and so I, I felt that constraint too because I didn't want to be like oh yeah I played this faction a couple weeks ago and now here's this thing I used from this uh, you know even though some people have even said to me go ahead and use parts of this if you want to um, and so like there was those three constraints of how do I uh, how do I get under that and actually to be honest that the fan faction thing was a little bit rewarding because it taught me it gave me a ceiling for complexity that I was very aware of and am now very under. Um, and so I think that was, I think that was actually a good experience uh, doing that. So, so yeah, frankly, I, I um, maybe have one more insurgent faction in me. I have, I have notes for the RLF, um, but I, I, which could be a minor faction very easily. And, uh, and I, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's fun. when we were working on underworld, I wrote this little script that just generated like, so we had, we had the reach system, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, values all the factions and then you, there are minimum targets you have to hit for each player count. And I, I used that to generate a big list of just possible games. And then what I would do is I would go through that list and I, I mean, it was really, it was like many, many pages, maybe like 30 pages. <laughs> and I have them in my office of all these, these games. And I just went through them and I would like circle ones where I'm like, ah, this one I'm worried about. You told me you played everyone. Yeah, well, I, not all of them. I, I did a pass, right? So I went through it and I like circled all the ones I was worried about. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, out of those, we had like about a hundred that were just like, these are different combinations. On, and also like things like maps and deck combinations, like all that can take that into account. And then I had about a hundred games that we wanted to run. And I was like, well, we can't run all of them. Because like that's I mean we, we just can't run all of them because I mean we are gonna usually usually the rule in my mind is that a game gets played about two hundred times by its development crew before it's done, uh, and, and that could be that I play a hundred times and Patrick plays a hundred times it could be different combinations but uh, I knew that uh, this was a lot to get through and so I went through it again and I was like okay if this one works these other ones are also going to work 
Okay. And so you okay. like you like kind of map it a little bit like that, where you're like, well, you know, the 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 Woodland Alliance is a little bit more irritating to deal with than the Corvids. So sometimes they can kind of stand in for them. But there are these other faction mix mixes where the Corvids are a lot more worrisome, like if they're playing against the Eerie, right? Whereas the Woodland Alliance is a lot more troublesome for like the lizards maybe, right? So they're, they're different alchemies. And so out of that, we got this big list. And then uh, when we were testing it, we hired a bunch of people to come in. We had we ran about three tables every day from like nine to five. They played about four games. Each table played four games a day. And I went in there like I was conducting a seminar with little clipboards. <laughs> I've got them somewhere in my office. And I said, you know, and I, I had a little data merge spit out like, okay, here are the factions. Here's your map. Here's your deck. And it just spit out all these forms. And I would give every group their clipboard and be like, all right, get these in maybe by the end of the day. And it was, I just need to see like what, what they're like when, when they get played. Now, I don't know exactly how we're going to adapt that system to COVID yet because it is even bigger than Oath's testing system. But I imagine I'm going to be doing some tricky work with Google Forms and trying to set that stuff up. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll just make Nick do it. Yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> right. um, that's what a team is for. But, but, you know, as we start thinking about like, oh boy, what does this look like if things get really wild, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and some of the thinking behind the advanced setup is making the different combinations a little more resilient. So that, for instance, like in the game we played today, the warlord jumped on my neck as the cats. Now, which that, I directed him to do, and it yeah, wasn't correct. a good play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah it, it was not a good play, but it's also a thing that can happen. And yep. I was cheered by the fact that I started thinking about how the current draft and setup system works. And I'm like, this probably couldn't happen in quite this way. Sure. So, like, I think that there are ways that, like, by adjusting that, we can make the game a little more resilient and maybe generate some more content. But I agree with Patrick. I've got, like, a couple more root factions in me, but I just – there are so many. There's so much game. <laughs> like, There'll be way know, more space for that in Void Lich and Oath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I – you know, one thing I'll say about that is I, um, I don't have a copy of Root at the Office. My copy is at home. And I try not to use it for development because it'll get messy. Uh, and so – one of the first things I did uh, at the beginning of this week was build my development copy of Root. So I went around and was like, oh, is there, do you have a full set of Woodland Alliance meeples in that set? Okay, I'll put that in my box. Because I just need to like, we have all these half copies of Root. Right, right, right. And putting everything together, I was like, oh boy, there is a lot in this box. Yeah. There's a lot of factions. There's just like, I think that the system could probably handle a few more, but my goodness. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, as someone who's monitoring like, benefits and shipping stuff from china and to people and managing people i'm probably gonna have to lean on cole to do some of this <laughs> some of this work <laughs> well I, i'm i'm super excited about this this is your you guys's next kickstarter presumably that uh, you're going to be putting up I, I i know that i'm going to get grilled if i don't ask a couple uh, of those like real cut and dry business questions on this are you guys going to have the Clockwork Expansion 2 as part of this upcoming Kickstarter? Yep, it's almost done already. <laughs> yep. I was playing it today. That's awesome. And then, of course, the question that I bet you guys get a million times, what about a big box? We need something to put all these things in. Uh, rage <laughs> quit! <laughs> yeah. it, it's a funny... So I, I feel like I... I don't know. I don't really want one, but also there have been times when I feel like both Pat and I have been like more accommodating about the idea potentially. Like for a while it was like, Hey, at the end of the line, 
we'll of course do one. I have started, I don't know if I'm just reacting to people asking me about it or if I actually feel this way earnestly. I've started thinking about it as like an act of harm. Mm, yeah. Like, like I wouldn't want to do it even if we could make money doing it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I have to, I feel like I have to recuse myself from this conversation as I get too. Um, the moment I stopped caring about it, like I did care about it. I, for a long time, I was like, oh, sure. man, I need the big box. I, I need the big box. The moment I stopped caring about it is the moment that I got the play mats. I was like, well, it's not going no, to no, all fit in one box anyway. No, 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 no. It's going to be this big. I think I, I said this last time Federer and I did a design chat, but I'll, it bears repeating. I play a lot of Command & Colors. I used to play a lot of Command & Colors Napoleonics with my wife. And w- w- after we finished the Austrian expansion, I got this like giant tackle box and I organized it all. I put it in the giant tackle box and we stopped playing it because it was too intimidating. It was too heavy. Right, it was right. like just, it was just nonsensical. And Not then I, I, re- I sorted everything back out into their boxes and then it gets played now. <laughs> like, I mean, and it was just, it, I think part of it, I don't know, it, it's a complicated thing. And I do think there are ways of designing a big box that make it easier to play. But root is so like, you know, that word again, it's like so modular that I kind of, if I'm going to game night, I kind of just want to like grab root and then like the expansion that I think I'm going to play that night. So my take on it is, first of all, in my cold, dead heart, if I make money on it, I'll make money on it. So I got to sell it for that reason. But um, <laughs> I think with I want to see how the response to Oath mm-hmm. and that really well-designed box, because maybe there is a better curated experience than just having a large box. Maybe there is a way we can present a tray that will help the people. And I think that's what people are asking for. Ultimately, yeah. they're not just saying big box. They're saying we want a tray to store everything. And I think now that we have a better um we don't have a better product designer. What we have is time to work on product design and 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 the expertise to work on it. And so maybe, maybe like from from years ago when I was like ah to to now there might be some room to uh, to to run it. My concern about it, and what I always say to people is that um, Scythe, which has sold 300, 350,000 units, which is almost double of what Root sold. Um, Jamie wrote a, a piece about it and he said, you just didn't make money on it. And I was like, well, if someone at that scale with that business <laughs> acumen could not make money on a box, I mean, he said he broke even. And so it's like, I can't, I can't afford to keep paying benefits if I'm breaking even. I got to, I got to, uh, um, I got to create a, a world where we continue to generate money. I mean, I get it. Like you could say, well, you break even, it's okay. But no, Patrick Leader is then going to have to take time away from doing something else. Marshall's going to take time away from doing something else to right. break even. Mm-hmm. And that's not yep. as exciting. Yeah. And I'll, you know, well, one, it's interesting. I, I completely agree with you, Patrick. And I think that um, the oath big box is the oath box is going to be a really interesting case on it because yeah. we spent a long time on that box. Like yeah. A long time. Like it took staff days to figure out how it was going to work. That was time that could have been spent in other places. And it was important for the, the product, but and, and, and Oath's Big Box is funny because it's not flashy. I, I, yeah, Oath's Big Box. Oath's Box. It's got a picture of a pig on it. Okay? It does have a picture <laughs> on a pig. But it's not, it's not a flashy box design, but it, it is a bigger form factor. And it was the first time as a company we've made a really active attempt to get the insert to be like post-game functional. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I feel like a lot of our inserts are like, 
The insert works great if this is the only product you buy. If you have an expansion, you're on your own. But you love every Kickstarter that comes with expansion out of the gate. You're like, yeah, oh, you just throw, like, throw, throw, yes, that, throw yeah, an insert yeah. out. Um, but Oath actually has an insert that people are going to want to um, want to keep. I challenge the Meeple Realty people to design a better. <laughs> to design a better. I like, you know, it's funny though. I do like the the Sentinels uh, box. It's ridiculous. I was going to see if I can get a picture of it quick. It is enormous. But I played the game more since I got it because yeah, all, that's the, cool. all the heroes are together. So, well. <clears throat> Cole, Patrick, I could talk to you about a million things. One thing that I'm personally very excited about is Void Lich on the horizon. I mean, I, I know that you've put up some pictures of the development. You've talked about it. And so as a uh, hopefully 2021 release mm -hmm. or maybe yeah, at least maybe. a Kickstarter yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. for that, I, I would love to oh, nice. Thank you. have you guys back onto the show. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I could just talk about business. I could talk about game design. Uh, but at this point, I need to let you guys go so you can actually make some games. So <laughs> let's leave it with getting the, the, the question out of the way here. Uh, the root Kickstarter, when can people find or expect that? So Are we talking about that yet? Yeah, we've talked a little it's bit about it. Oh, yeah, Brooke, Brooke Curry. Um, <laughs> we need levels of permission here. Yeah, so our our general plan is that the root Kickstarter will happen in Q1. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a blast for folks who had a good time with the Underworld Kickstarter. This is going to be, you know, just it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so that, that that's our Q1. Um, Oath hopefully will be... Um, having its retail release, like potentially sometime around June, uh, kind of end of Q2. Um, Void Lich, which is really like, it's going to be an awesome studio project. I, I We could gab for a long time about how it's going. Uh, will, will be our second Kickstarter, hope, hope maybe sometime like around May. We're not really sure, April or yeah, May. Yeah, April or May, um, yeah. I think that like the main thing I would want to communicate to folks is like we have been uh, oath. So like the studio was growing. After, especially after Root. I mean, it, it grew through Vast, it grew through Root. Uh, but we spent a lot of that growth on Oath. Oath was a complicated project that took a lot of the bandwidth we had built out. And this is going to be a year where instead of doing one giant project, we're doing kind of like a bunch of medium-sized projects. And uh, they are all very different from each other. And it's, it's so we're, we're going to have a, a, lot, a lot to share. And that'll start getting rolling kind of like right as the new year turns. Well, I'm very excited about Void Glitch because... The three of us are meeting about it. If you, you know, Kyle, like, so if you talk about the senior creative staff, it's, it's us all uh, kind of chipping away at the, at it right now. And so I, uh, I'm just, you know, I think it's going to be like a culmination of a lot of efforts coming together. And I think it's going to be very cool to, uh, to that Kickstarter is be very cool. It's very cool to see how it turns out. Yeah, it is uh, both very unlike anything that we've done before and also like, a clear continuation of some of these lines of, of thought. Yeah. As it turns out, cause it's a lot on Cole's desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, it's it is super, it is super on my desk right now. It's been, it's been so fun to work on it. Like I, you know, Oath, what, one thing I'll say about working on Void Lich is Oath was a very deliberative and kind of slow design because the design had to uh, accommodate just like tons of tricky things. So it was like I, I I couldn't design quickly, which I and I like to design fast, but oath that was like not allowed because if I if I w was hasty, I would like break like four months of work, and so it had to be careful. And void lich is not like that. 
Voidlich is a, the, the core action system is like very flexible and strong. And so the design, I think the design is going to like, I mean, Oath, I think of as a very special, unique game and nothing game does, no game does anything like it. Voidlich is as dynamic, but it's a simpler game to learn how to play. And I think it's going to have some really wonderful stuff in the box. And I, yeah, I, I can't wait to, to, to talk more about that game. So I have to stop myself. <laughs> we'll find a time to do it. Well, thank you so much, Cole and Patrick, for coming on to the show. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you very uh, much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was great.